Thanks for choosing this podcast on hip and groin pain. I'm Liam West, and today I have the pleasure of introducing Dr. Andra Mosler, who's a specialist sports physiotherapist and research fellow at La Trobe University in Melbourne, Australia. She's completed her PhD on risk factors for hip and groin pain in professional male footballers. And on today's podcast, we will summarize her findings for you, the listener, so that you can put that into your clinical practice. Welcome to the podcast, Andrea. Thanks very much, uh, Liam. It's really a pleasure and honour to be um, conducting this podcast on behalf of BJSM. It's a pleasure to have you. When I first got a job working in a high-performance environment many years ago, we knew we had limited resources, so we targeted those with weak hip and groin scores to try and get them strong in the gym to try and reduce injuries. It didn't really work. Were we just unlucky, or does the evidence back up that we were always destined to fail? Yeah, no, you weren't just unlucky. So in my um, previous life as a, as a sports physiotherapist working with elite teams, particularly with Olympic sports, we spent a lot of time conducting screenings and looking at some of the known risk factors for certain injuries that were applicable to particular sports. And we would try to identify those individuals that seemed to be at higher risk of uh, sustaining an injury and implementing an individualised um, program for those particular athletes, for that particular sport, for those particular injuries. And, you know, sometimes you're, you're effective, but there was also a whole bunch of other athletes which weren't identified as um, high risk who sustained that particular injury in which you were trying to implement your intervention for. And this is because when we look at risk factors, we're actually looking at relative risk. So when you say say an athlete has four times the risk of sustaining a, say, for example, a shoulder injury if they have reduced external rotation strength, that just means that they're more likely to sustain that injury, but doesn't mean they will sustain the injury. And it also doesn't mean that the athlete with normal external rotation strength will not get a shoulder injury. And so this is where our primary and secondary and tertiary prevention strategies uh, need to be based on, where we're looking at attempting to address causal risk factors in healthy athletes. And the thing that we have really good evidence for is some group exercise programs. So we now have the excellent RCT conducted by Yua Roy in uh, the semi-professional Norwegian football players that showed that uh, conducting just a simple adduction um, strengthening exercise into their pre-season program and then continue with that exercise once a week throughout the season had a 41% reduction in uh, sustaining a groin problem. We also have the systematic review from uh, Kristen Torborg, which found that even just the FIFA 11 plus was effective at reducing groin, uh, time loss groin injuries in male semi-professional football players in the US. So we have some evidence that group exercise programs work. Now, as we know, there's considerable evidence now that screening to identify at-risk individuals is not effective at um, identifying the people that will actually get injured. So we should be putting all of our energy for, in terms of primary prevention into implementing the kind of group exercise programs that we know are effective for reducing groin pain. Some really interesting points there and some good literature which we'll link in the blurb for the listener to read at their own pleasure. Let's turn it now to a little bit more clinical. Um, 
one of the top players in my team starting to complain about groin tightness after his games and or her games and not able to run as fast. Should I be worrying as the team doctor and what can I do to prevent a progression of this towards pain? Yes, you should be worrying in short, Liam, because we know that at any one week, one in 10 of your players will experience groin pain. And we also know that approximately one in four, one in five will experience a time loss groin injury each season. So groin pain is a significant, uh, creates significant injury burden for professional male football players. And we also know that it creates um, burden in, in many other sports. So this leads me into the idea of using things like secondary prevention measures. So secondary prevention is when you try to identify the at-risk um, player and have early detection of an existing condition. And once you have that early detection, then you follow that up with appropriate intervention, aiming to minimise the impact of that pain and potentially reduce the presentation from going on to be perhaps a time loss groin injury. So doing really um, careful and um, consistent uh, monitoring of players, particularly for groin pain, but also for perhaps loss of strength in hip abduction, can actually identify these problems really early and with an appropriate multimodal intervention, it might be something as simple as just uh, reduced numbers of kicks in the next training session, or you may need to um, implement something a little bit more aggressive, such as they may have to miss a match or they may uh, require some physiotherapy intervention, perhaps some manual therapy, wearing things like compression um, shorts, which we know are effective for, for managing groin pain. Uh, in order to, and, and some adduction strengthening exercises in order to um, prevent that injury from result, resulting in something that is going to potentially cause time loss. So any kind of groin symptoms such as tightness or loss of uh, running speed due to a, a bad feeling in the groin or potentially pain on the squeeze test are kind of alarm bells that we need to um, act on early. Let's pretend I didn't listen to this podcast and I kept that athlete playing at full capacity. They get injured. My coach is obviously not very happy with me. How do I help prevent this injury from happening again with this athlete? Yeah, well, it's good that you asked that, Liam, because more often than not, that is actually the situation because often it's the player that's the best player in the team that sustains the groin injury and there's a lot of pressure to keep players um, playing and often though they may not actually divulge to you as the clinician how um, sore their groin is. But what you're describing is really tertiary prevention. So it's what when we want to reduce the complications and the long-term burden of injury. And the most important thing for tertiary prevention is to make sure we have really effective groin injury rehabilitation and that can prevent recurrence. And my colleague at Aspatar, Andrea Serna, has just published the results of his prospective case series where he's published the uh, criteria on base rehabilitation that he has implemented and, and measured in 80-odd cases of acute adductor-related groin strains. And what he found is that if the players passed a certain return to sport criteria, had a significant reduction in recurrence. So ensuring that your players restore normal 
adduction strength in comparison to either the other side or what we know is normal across normative data and also restore the ratio between adduction and abduction which should be around about 1.2 then we know that we're going to have a, a reduced um, chance of the injury recurring. The other things that are really important throughout our injury rehabilitation is to make sure they maintain their general fitness. So returning to sport without having um, optimal fitness can also mean that the player is more likely to have a recurrence of that injury. And don't forget the risk factors for some of the other injuries. So important to keep going with things like Nordic hamstring uh, injuries and maybe some proprioception for their ankle to make sure they are not susceptible to some of these other subsequent injuries. But throughout the rehab, one of the most important things is with your criterion-based rehab that you're really doing using very sensitive pain provocation tests to gradually increase the load throughout the rehabilitation. And if they present perhaps with a squeeze, with a slight increase in pain after you've um, progressed them throughout their rehab, then we need to either maintain or drop back a little bit until the groin settles down again. So re really incremental load and keeping very close monitoring of their symptoms and their strength and their fatigue is, is really essential throughout the rehabilitation process. I think you've really nicely summarised the primary, secondary and tertiary uh, approach to hip and groin injuries and their prevention. Whilst I've got you on the line, maybe I can try and nail you for some clinical gems whilst we're there. So are there any exercises or maybe equipment, you have briefly mentioned compression shorts during this podcast, that you think the clinicians listening to this podcast should ensure that they have in their hip and groin toolbox? Yeah, for sure. Like the most important thing, I think, for any sports physiotherapist working with athletes that, that potentially have hip and groin pain is a dynamometer. And the reason why a dynamometer is really helpful is because it provides you and the player with objective measures of adduction strength. And we have good evidence that reduction uh, adduction strength precedes development of groin pain. We also know that it is a risk factor for developing adductor-related groin pain. And in your rehabilitation process, if anyone does get injured, it's a really powerful feedback tool to demonstrate to the player that they are improving with their um, strengthening exercises and they can recognise that they're, as they're getting stronger, their pain levels are reducing. So definitely a handheld dynamometer is something I'd recommend all clinicians. And in terms of the sort of exercises, for me, the two most important exercise is the squeeze test as a pain provocation test. And the athletes can actually perform this themselves by just putting their ankles around um, some sort of box or a ball just to keep an eye on their own groin symptoms and regularly monitoring themselves and the Copenhagen adduction exercise. I would definitely be putting the Copenhagen adduction exercise into the pre-season uh, training of all my football players and would be continuing on a maintenance program throughout the season to reduce the, um, the potential for them to develop adductor-related groin pain. If our listener isn't able to afford a handheld dyno, what are your opinion or thoughts on a sphygmometer in clinic or with a sports team for measuring groin strength? Well, the interesting thing about the sphygmometer is that they're very helpful for getting some sort of objective output for the squeeze test. 
But what we found with our research is that in fact doing a brake test or doing an eccentric test better differentiates athletes at higher levels of strength, so the more elite athlete, but also better differentiates athletes with and without groin pain. So what will happen um, often when an athlete is returning close, is close to returning back to training or to sport, is they may actually restore their normal isometric strength, but there's still a deficit on eccentric testing, which we use, which is what we use the brake test for. The other thing about the using the brake test is we have quite a lot of uh, normative data that a clinician can now compare to. So the problem with the sphygmometer is you, you can't use a sphig to perform a brake test. And now the act, there's actually a number of products that are coming onto the market which um, reducing in price and it's becoming much more affordable to have a um, some sort of dynamometer that you can use in the clinic um, linked up to apps on your phone and so yeah it's something that I would really recommend for for a clinician rather than using the sphygmometer. The other problem with the sphygmometer is there's some lack of reliability between the different devices um, whereas the dynamometer seems to be a little bit more stable. For the unaccustomed listener, could you just take them, and I'm sure they'll go straight to this paper after listening to the podcast, but can you take them through the brake test just to explain what that is specifically? All right, so the brake test, it was first introduced uh, into the literature by Timmy Tyler, who looked at uh, risk factors for groin pain in ice hockey players. And he, in his study, he measured uh, players in sideline. So they have their top leg uh, at 90-90, and they're holding onto the bed and the bottom leg is brought up into adduction, into inner range of adduction, um, in line with the rest of the body. And the dynamometer is placed on the ankle, so eight centimetres above the most lateral point of the lateral malleolus. And it's a three-second isometric test and then a two-second brake test. So you actually, as you as you're breaking the adduction force, you're actually moving the leg down towards the bed. So this is the test that was then used by Christian Torborg in his work. Uh, he has reported reliability figures and then we use the same test in our risk factor study and in our normative data study. So that is a, a test that's been consistently used in the literature now through as we, as we evolve with our understanding of growing pain. You've done a really good job of summarising the work that you and your colleagues have done in this area. And on behalf of BGSM, I thank you for that. Thank you for giving the listeners a few more things to put in their hip and groin toolbox today on the podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure, Liam. And uh, yeah, good luck to all the clinicians out there in managing their hip and groin pain. I hope that you, the listener, have enjoyed and learned from this podcast. As ever, you can connect with the BGSM through the normal social media channels. And we welcome any suggestions for further podcasts. I hope that you get to have a physically active day.